Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Gathering Church. My name is John Mark Redwine. I'm the lead pastor, and it's so good to be with you here today. We're so honored to have you today, and um, I'm so excited this week because we're starting life groups this week, and it's such an exciting time. Uh, I always, as an introvert, at the end of the life group semester, that first week or two, I'm like, Oh, yes, it's going to be so quiet in my house on Tuesday. I'm going to watch TV. I get real excited, but then after a couple of weeks, man, I'm, I just get antsy. I miss my people. I miss the experience, and so I'm excited to get it going again. This, this uh, week's going to be fun. I want to let you know that next Sunday is our four-year anniversary at the Gathering Church. Yes! It's our four-year birthday. We're four years old. That's what we would say if we were a kid. I'm four years old. And um, so, so things are going well. We're in preschool. We're dressing ourselves now. And uh, there's a lot of promise for our future. And we're feeling great. So next week, we've got some surprises. And, and we're going to have some fun here. We've got T-shirts for everybody. Come early. Part of, part of uh, free T-shirts is, is, hey, if you want to get your size, get here early. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're guessing. We're just, I, I told Robbie, I said, I'm looking out at everybody and every, every Sunday and just let me know. I'll tell you how, what sizes I think we need. I've been sizing people up. I've been making decisions. So I said, yeah, I see a lot of medium-sized people. And so, um, uh, and so come next week. we got free T-shirts for you. We're excited about that. We haven't done T-shirts since year one. Uh, maybe month one, and so, uh, and then we got cupcakes and all kinds of fun stuff. I'm ex- so excited to share the vision of our church with you and uh, celebrate our story a little bit and what God is doing and what we believe He is going to do in the future. And so, you do not want to miss that week. Uh, move whatever you got to move. You know, cancel vacations, get unsick. You know, do it. Don't touch anybody this week so you don't come down with the flu. And uh, we cannot wait to see you back here next Sunday for our four-year birthday party. It's going to be fun. You are invited to my birthday party. So I can't wait to have you. Um, well, today we are in a week, one of the weeks of a message series called Switchbacks, week two of Switchbacks. And we are so uh, excited about this series because I, I love to look at the stories of people's lives that the Bible tells and to see what God does and uh, despite the odds and despite the challenges that we meet. If you don't know what a switchback is, um, when you're on a, on a road driving or when you're hiking or mountain biking and the hill is just too steep, when it's too big of a mountain that they can't just go straight up it, they cut the road or they cut the trail back and forth to make switchbacks. It's a slow climb up a big hill. And uh, when I'm hiking, I love to hike. I hate hiking on switchbacks. When I'm hiking on switchbacks, it feels like every step is the most difficult step I've ever taken. It's hard work. I'm out of breath. And then there's always another turn. And then you're just like, am I even, are we going up still? I can't tell. Are we ever going to get there? And it feels like you're never going to get there. But, but eventually you get to the best payoffs and the best views and the best perspectives at the end of that series of switchbacks. And I think a lot of times, our life can feel like we're hitting all these setbacks and, and like it's a hard uphill journey when in reality we're finding switchbacks and we're getting closer and closer to the story that God is telling with our lives and it is bigger and better than anything we could have imagined on our own. And so uh, in this series we're talking about the different kind of challenges that we face and that we find in our lives while we study the stories of people who've gone before us that the Bible tells. Uh, last week we talked about Joseph, and this week we're talking about Daniel. And 
Man, I'm so excited to get into this story of the life of Daniel. Daniel existed in a very interesting time in Israel's history. Around 600 BC, the two kingdoms that made up the Jewish people were conquered by the Babylonians. Now, this was really the event that led to Jesus being able to enter at the perfect time into the story of humanity. This was uh, the, the, the last time that the Jewish people would really govern themselves before the coming of Jesus. They were conquered by the Babylonians and the Persians and the Greeks and then the Romans. And each empire would expand its borders a little bit. And by the time the Romans came, there was so much network in place. And there, they, the Romans came and built roads and made it all possible, connected the world enough that the story that Jesus came to live was able to spread the way that it did. And this is kind of the beginning of that, which is really exciting for us looking back. But for Daniel and, and the people that lived in Jerusalem in that time, it was, it was a terrifying time to be alive. They, they, had, they had all of their history been able to have some control over the cultural identity that they had. Now, they didn't always do so, but they were able to keep God at the very center of their culture. Their lives revolved around the worship of Him. He directed their government. He directed their decisions. And they'd get off course. That's, in fact, the whole story of the Old Testament to this point is the story of God showing both uh, judgment and grace over His people as they would wander away from Him. But their cultural identity was tied up in him and in who he said they were. And now with Babylon coming and taking over, all of that was going to change. From that moment on, there would be a struggle for them to find this identity as the people of God. And so it was an interesting time to be alive. Daniel had spent his childhood in Jerusalem with God and, and the Hebrew laws taking precedence over his identity, his values, and his perceived future. When the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem, they took some of the sons of noblemen and royalty back to Babylon. The, the king of Babylon had this vision of one culture made up of all the different cultures of the world. And so he would take little pieces and parts of every culture that he conquered and add them to what it meant to be Babylon. He would take some of the royalty and the nobility from the nations that he conquered and he would bring them into his royal court, teaching them the ways of Babylon and learning from them along the way as well. Daniel was one of those people that was selected to be moved to the capital city to live in the royal court. It would have been considered an honor, but to a young Jewish man, this was, this was a terrifying moment, ripped away from his family, ripped away from everything that he had ever known, and brought into a culture that was absolutely opposite to everything that he had ever known, believed in, and valued. Suddenly, Daniel lived in a culture and in a city that didn't know anything about his God or his values or his previous identity. Daniel's whole life is a lesson on how to stand firm and love well in a culture of compromise. And I think that this is a relevant story for us today. This is an important thing for us to, to, to begin to understand because so many of our journeys can feel a little bit like Daniel. Following Jesus 
in the culture we live in today is different than it was just a couple decades ago. The world we live in is changing. And 25 years ago, 54% of our city here attended church. It was a regular part of the culture. Christianity wasn't just uh, uh, something that people believed in. It infiltrated our cultural lives. It, it was a part of our every day, but that's shifted and changed. Today, less than 25% of the population of Asheville and the surrounding areas attend church. Our culture is effectively separating church and state. Christianity is not as cultural anymore. And now we're living more and more in a culture where we are nervous for our coworkers to find out that we're Christians. We, we don't want to be made fun of or lectured or, or judged because of what we believe in. When we enter into a new relationship with Jesus in this culture and in this city, it can be scary. What will people think of me? What will they say about me? What will they say to me? How does this change the way that I've been living, maintaining a relationship with Jesus in our current culture? can feel difficult. It all feels like an uphill struggle, like we're constantly in this series of switchbacks. And maybe it often feels like we're in a bunch of setbacks that are really taking us to where we need to be. If we look at Daniel's life as a roadmap for how we can move forward and stand firm while loving people well, while being Jesus to people as well, I think that there is a lot that we can take from his story to the story that we're living right now. If you're a follower of Jesus in a culture that opposes your worldview. I want to take a look first at some of the challenges that Daniel faced in the shift in culture that he was living through. The first thing that would happen is they changed his name. They changed his name. It was a normal Babylonian custom whenever they conquered a nation to bring some of their nobility into the royal court. And they had this idea that they could be one great nation of the world. And Daniel and three of his peers were in the group selected to live in the court. And in Daniel 1.7 it says, The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Sounds like an 80s band. The first thing that Babylon does here is rename Daniel and his friends. And in doing so, they shake up a very important part of their identity. In the Hebrew culture, your name that was given to you would determine who you were meant to become. It was meant to be a, an absolute pillar in the identity that you would build as a young Jewish person. And so for Babylon to change their names, they were coming at something that was central to who they are. And the name changes matter. I believe that all of this still happens today because if our enemy can confuse you about who you are, he can confuse you about who God is. Daniel's name became Belteshazzar. Daniel means God is my judge. In other words, nobody can tell me who I am or what I am except for God, except for the one who's made me. Belteshazzar means lady protect the king. They shake an inherent part of his identity, his gender, and the spiritual focus of his name. His identity shifts from a focus on God to a focus on man. I believe this is a tactic that our enemy used then and that he is using now. Because if he can confuse you about who you are and break down even the most basic aspects of your identity, he can confuse you about who God is. 
Babylon changed Hananiah to Shadrach. Hananiah means Yahweh is gracious. Shadrach means I am fearful of God. The focus shifts from praise to fear. Our culture has tried to change this in us as well. In many cases, Christianity, at least the word, that, that, the, the, the feeling that comes to mind nowadays when in, in Christianity is brought up in the media or in popular culture, has shifted from relationship to religion. It was always meant to be a relationship built on grace and mercy and love and the justice of God combined with the goodness of God. It was relational. But the cultural version of Christianity has become a religion based on fear. Got to get my fire insurance. Got to make sure I'm following the right rules and the right regulations so that I look the right way to be called a Christian in this place. It's shifted from from confidence to fear. Our culture has tried to shift this in every way that we that we see. Mishael is changed to Meshach from who is what God is to I am despised, from confidence to cowardice, focus on God to a focus on me. Finally, Azariah's name was changed to Abednego. God is my helper to servant of Nebo, from son to slave. Maybe your name has been changed. Maybe instead of living like a son, you've been living like a slave a slave to your past, to addiction, to sin, to broken relationships, to a hunger for money or for things. Maybe who you are has been defined by what you've done or what's been done to you for a long time. Maybe you don't know who you are anymore. You can't find the center of your identity anymore because for so long you've let the world around you tell you who to be and who you are, and you're not really sure how to move forward in that. The second thing culture did to Daniel was they challenged his values. He faced this moment when his standards were challenged and he had to decide what he was going to do next. This happens to us as well. In Daniel 1.5 it says, The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. Now this was uh, one of the things that was meant to be a positive part of coming into the court of Babylon. It was a great honor for these people who were brought in from these conquered nations to sit at the king's table and receive the king's food. They were eating the best food available, this choice food and wine that came from the king. It was his way of saying, we don't just think of you as conquered, we think, you, think of you as a part of us now. And except that for Daniel and the people that came out of Jerusalem, there were some big problems here. It says, Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. You see, the people of God, the Hebrew people, had all these laws around the kind of food they ate, and there was a lot of good reasons for them. Most of those reasons were about separating the people of God from the pagan culture's around them, not separating them for the sake of isolationism, separating them for the sake of holiness. See, holiness means to be set apart. In order, in order for us to be more focused on God, to, to show that we're His, that we don't follow the idols of this world or the gods that the pagans worship, we set ourselves apart in some very specific ways 
And the way that they ate was one of those ways. The biggest issue that they had with the food at the king's table was that it was sacrificed to idols before it got there. One of the most common practices in the ancient world was meat would would come from food that was killed, slaughtered on the altars of pagan gods, idol worship. And so to eat that food was to bring honor, was to honor those foreign gods. For Daniel and his friends to eat that food would be breaking five or six Hebrew laws at a minimum, all designed to keep them in a position of holiness, in a position of being set apart for the one who called them, who created them, who gave them their names. It was breaking down their identity just to eat this food. And Daniel said, I'm not going to do it. He asked the chief official for permission not to defile him this way. Now God had caused this official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my Lord the king who's assigned your food and drink. What should, why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. And Daniel and his three friends were not the only people taken from Jerusalem at this table. There, there would have been others who had the same standards before coming to Babylon that Daniel and his friends did. And they were eating the food, and they were drinking the wine, and they, they had said, hey, you know, when in Babylon, do as the Babylonians do. Like This, this, seems, this seems to be how we're going to get ahead. It was good food. There was filet mignon. There were big platters of bacon. There was a beautiful jello mold. All this good stuff. I don't know if there was a jello mold. They didn't have who even likes jello molds? And anyways, they had all this good food there, and all of the people around them were making this compromise. They were taking this chance. It would have been so easy for Daniel and his friends to say, I'm going to do it as well. It would have been easy for them to shift their standards and adjust to their values. Everyone was doing it. It was expected. And, and it wasn't considered punishment to eat this food. It was It was meant to be a sign of good faith. And so what were they supposed to do? Maybe you've been in a position like this. You want to follow Jesus and live by the Bible, but everyone around you has already decided they're going to compromise in this area. Or or it seems foolish or, or even silly to draw the lines that you feel like God's Word and what it means to know and follow Him have asked you to draw. Maybe it's the decision, and this is a big one in our culture, to live with your girlfriend or boyfriend before you get married and engage in a sexual relationship before marriage. See, in our culture, it's crazy not to do this. I, I, ta- I mean, it's, it's a rare thing to meet somebody nowadays that, that lives that way. I mean, why would you, people always say this to me, why would you buy a car without a test drive? Except that marriage isn't buying a car. And sex isn't all marriage is built on. In fact, it's meant to be an act of intimacy that is spiritual and physical and emotional at the same time. And when you engage in a sexual relationship with someone you're not married to, you create a gap in the intimacy sex was created to build that you'll have to heal from when you get married. But everyone is doing it, and it's normal. And it's what my friends are doing, and they're fine. And so why shouldn't I live this way as well? See, culture will lead you to compromise your standards in order to look more and more like the people around you. But when you compromise your standards, you compromise who you are. 
you compromise your identity. And all of this compromise our culture is leading to, is, is asking us to do, is leading us to a confrontation. It brings us to a moment of decision. And that's what happens next for Daniel. Culture creates a confrontation. It creates a moment of decision for him. And so if you make this difficult decision to go the opposite way and to find your identity in Jesus and to refuse to compromise and to live the way that he's called you to live, you're going to find yourself facing moments of confrontation. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. There will be decisions that you have to make that will be difficult. Maybe you feel that you're making them all the time. Maybe often at work you're you're faced with a a decision of whether you should follow your integrity or you should do what's going to bring you more success. And everybody else is going the success route and you know that the integrity route is going to cause trouble for you at work, but you, you really aren't sure what you should do. Should you compromise and live the way the world tells you to live or should you stand firm and and worry about the repercussions that you might face it's going to create a confrontation culture will create a confrontation between who God says you are and who the world says you should be Daniel was faced with a big problem he would face decisions like this over and over again for 70 years living in Babylon for 70 years the culture he lived in was going to try to change his name For 70 years, it was going to challenge his values. And for 70 years, it was going to create confrontation after confrontation. Every day, he had to make decisions just like this one. Eat the king's food and compromise who he is and what he believes in, or find a way to stand firm without becoming an outcast. Because culture wants us to believe that if we stand up for what we believe in, and it's different from what others believe in, you're going to stand out as an outcast, or you're going to have to hurt some people's feelings. This official appeals to Daniel, not because he doesn't want to do what Daniel's asked, but because he's afraid. He says, Daniel, it says that God caused him to show some favor and compassion over Daniel. Like he cares about him, but he says, listen, I'm worried that if I don't force you to eat this good food that you're supposed to be eating, you're going to wither away and you're going to start to look sick and I'm going to be in trouble for it. My head is on the line here, Daniel. I need you to compromise your standards because otherwise I'm going to be in big trouble. And I believe that the world that we live in has created such a, a hard line, such, a, a, such a, a culture of opposition that we are, we are trained to believe that in order to stand firm, we have to throw aside any compassion for the other person. We're, we're in an election year right now. And I'm not going to tell you how to vote. That's not my job, I don't believe. I believe it's my job to tell you how to follow Jesus. But I will tell you this, that whichever side you fall on, you are called to be compassionate and kind to the other side. To show love and good. I read the news every morning and my heart breaks every single morning as I read more and more articles of division and hatred and anger and if you don't believe in what I believe in, you're evil. And, and you, you shouldn't even be at the same table that I'm dining at. Daniel was in a position where he could have just said, no, I don't care about you and what happens to you. I'm going to do whatever I need to do for my values because I'm right and you're evil. Instead, he found a different way, a different way forward. 
a way to stand firm in what he believes in, but love the people well that don't agree with him. And I think as followers of Jesus, this is what we're called to do as well. In Daniel 1, verse 11, he says, Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, and Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. And then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food. And treat your servants in accordance with what you see. Just try it and let's see what happens. You do it your way and let me do it my way. And let's see who comes out better in the end. And at the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. And to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Because of how well they loved people while standing firm in what they believe in, God put blessing and honor and favor and gifting over these men. Look at Daniel's approach when culture brings him this confrontation. He doesn't say, I'm right and you're wrong. I'm good and you're bad. He doesn't set himself up in opposition to the chief official and the king. He says, just test me. You do what you're going to do, and I'll do what I need to do, and in 10 days, let's see how it goes. He stands firm, but he shows compassion and care and understanding for the position that this official is in. Just give me 10 days. I believe here's... the. the Right here is how we can find our identity in Jesus in a culture that constantly wants to redefine us. We stand firm and we love well. We stand firm and we love well. Remember who you are to the one who has called you and created you and apply the same value to the people that oppose you. Daniel enters into his test with humility and kindness. You try your life your way and I'll keep doing it God's way and let's just see who ends up healthier in the end. And at the end of 10 days, Daniel and his friends looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. Don't be arrogant and don't be judgmental and don't be unkind. Stand firm, love well, let your life speak for itself. And it will. I, um, I watched the, this is a little bit off topic, but I watched the Taylor Swift documentary on Netflix this weekend because I love some Tay-Tay. I just... I love Taylor Swift. She's always just known how to speak to the soul of America. You know what I'm saying? And so I was watching it and not watching it for research, watching it because I wanted to watch it. Let's be clear. I wanted to see. I want, I want more. And I was watching this, uh, this, this documentary on Taylor Swift, and this is a person with great influence and money and where really all her dreams came true. You see the story about how as a little girl, she would go and perform at fairs, and, and her dream was to one day have success as a performing artist, and now she does. There's shots in this documentary where there's tens of thousands of people losing their minds over Taylor Swift. And all throughout this documentary, over and over again, she talks about how it just doesn't ever feel like it's enough. How, how, no matter how hard she tries, no matter how, how much success she has, no matter what happens, that something is missing in her heart. And here's what I think. I think you don't have to, you don't have to be hateful or angry or, or draw hard lines or pass judgment on people for them to 
begin to understand how deeply they need Jesus. I think you just show them what it looks like in your life to have it. I can tell you right now that after watching that documentary, I have a peace in me that Taylor Swift does not have in her. I don't have people losing their minds when I walk out on the stage. You guys don't do that. Okay? I got like one one millionth of the amount of money that she has got to do whatever she wants. When I fly on a plane, I don't get to carry a cat in a little backpack. Okay? I sit in a seat with, with this much room. But I've got so much joy and peace and fulfillment inside my heart. And we, to, to, in, order, in, order to, in order to be followers of Jesus in this world, we do not have to be angry, and we don't have to point fingers, and we don't have to constantly tell the world what they're missing out on. We just got to show them. Show them with your life. Model it. Let's say you go your way and I'll go my way. Let's see who's better off at the end of the day. Stand firm and love well. Daniel's life shows us how to do this over and over again. Living in a culture that rejects your worldview can feel like this constant stream of setbacks. But maybe instead of setbacks, there's switchbacks. And God is telling a bigger story with your life. Daniel's story becomes one of faithfulness and favor and how to stand firm and love well in this culture of compromise. And our stories can too. If it feels like the whole world is always coming against you, here's a few things I think Daniel would say today to encourage you. First, be who God says you are. Be who God says you are. Don't let something label you that doesn't have the power to label you. Not your mistakes, not your culture, not other people. I love boats. I love boats. I grew up around boats. I'm wearing my Sperry's today because of how much I love boats. I won't be on a boat at any point today but wanted some non-marking soles just in case. One of the things I love about boats is that when you buy a boat, you get to name the boat. And when I bought a boat when I was 16, I, got, I worked hard. I got this dinky little John boat, and I named it the Creek Jeep because I had a Jeep, and I was like, this is my Jeep for the Creek. It's a bad name. It doesn't matter. You don't have to like it. It was my boat. My boat. I got to name it. And what happens is when it's your boat, you get to name it. When it's not your boat, you can't. I couldn't just walk onto somebody else's boat and say, this is the Creek Jeep too. I'm naming this one as well. You, I couldn't do that. People will say, you're crazy. You're, this is not the name of this boat. But what happens is I think often we allow things to name us that don't have the authority or the power to name us. We allow our sin to name us. We allow our past to name us. We allow other people to name us and to put labels on us that we begin to claim as our own. But that is not your name. Your Father in heaven is the only one who has the ability to tell you who you are. Because he is the one who has you. And so let me just remind you who God says you are through the promise of his scripture. In Galatians 4, 7, it says, You are not a slave. You are a son or a daughter of the king. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, You are the temple of the Spirit of God. Psalm 139.13 says, You've been fearfully and wonderfully made. John 15.15 15 says, You are a friend of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, And in Jesus you are a new creation. 1 Peter 2.9 says, You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who's called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Isaiah 62 says, You're not forsaken. You're not forgotten. You are the delight 
of the Lord. Romans 8.2 says you are free. 2 Peter 2.24 says you are an heir to the promise. Romans 8.37 says you are more than a conqueror and nothing can separate you from the love of God. And Ephesians 2.10 says you are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do the good works prepared in advance for you to do. That's who he says you are. You are more than the labels you've allowed to define you. You are more than the identity that you've allowed the culture around you to place and impose upon you. You are more than that. This is who you are. If you are caught up in in allowing others to identify you and define you and, and tell you who you are and what you're capable of, then you need to find freedom from that. We, we are starting life groups this week, and if you are not in one, and you are in this place where you need to have your identity reset, let me recommend the Freedom Group. You need the Freedom Group. It is just a, a 12-week group designed to create a, both a curriculum and an environment where you can let your walls down all the way, and you can learn who God says you are again. There's freedom groups for men and women, and that's a good place. If you don't want to go to freedom, go to a different group. But really lean in, let your walls down, get vulnerable, and begin to find the freedom that you're desperate for. And then, once you've done that, discover your purpose and and begin to make a difference in the purpose he's made you in. Once you know why he's made you, you will know who you are, and it will be unshakable. Let him define you. Discover your purpose. Understand your why. You were made with a job to do. You are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do the good works prepared in advance for you to do. When he formed you, he had a plan for you, a dream for you. And in that dream is a purpose. When we discover that purpose, our identity gets cemented and we get to go forward knowing who we are. Second, be a thermostat, not a thermometer. We need to learn to be a thermostat, not a thermometer. Some of us are thermometers. We adjust to the temperature of wherever we are. When we go to church, our kids are good. We're, kids, kids are great. These are the best kids in the world. You would be amazed at how great these kids are. Marriage is good. I've got the best marriage you've ever seen. <laughs> right, honey? We laugh together so much. We're having a great time. And, and life is good. Oh, it's good. Work's great. Things are fine. Things are. But then the same person at the bar that night, man, my marriage sucks. My kids are terrible. I hate my job. And, and we're somebody else around other people. We get home and, and we're bickering and we're fighting and, and things are not good. We go to work and we're somebody else entirely uh, uh, than we are in different places. Sometimes we're thermometers and we just adjust to the culture of wherever we land. I believe we're called to be a thermostat. Uh, a, A thermometer adjusts to the temperature of the room that it's in. A thermostat sets it. The rest of the room adjusts to whatever the thermostat is set at. Romans 12, 2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Don't conform to the world around you. I believe that you can exist in this culture, that you can live in a world that opposes Christianity, and you can follow Jesus and still love people well while standing firm in who you are. You know, there, there's... Um, a story in Daniel chapter 6. The third thing that Daniel would say to us is balance grace and truth. Balance, let me, I'll get to Daniel 6 in a minute. It says balance grace and truth. In a culture that more and more often positions itself against the church, 
We have to find a greater balance of grace and truth. Jesus was full of both grace and truth. He never compromised. He was always compassionate. He loved people for who they were, but called them to grow into a better version of themselves. Jesus faced opposition on a regular basis. The world around him said, you can't say what you're saying. You can't be who you're being. It doesn't work that way. They attacked his very identity. The Pharisees said once to him, you're possessed by the devil. That's how you do what you do. They told the Son of God that he was possessed by the devil. But those Pharisees that Jesus was often in opposition to, there's a great story in John where he sits down, he meets one in the middle of the night and sits with this Pharisee named Nicodemus and explains everything that he can about the kingdom of heaven to him in as simple terms as he can. He doesn't compromise, but he shows compassion, grace, and truth. I think we have a tendency to lean one way or the other. And for a long time, Christian culture responded to the culture coming against it with a hard stance of truth, hard hard leaning on the truth side of things. But truth without grace is mean. Truth without grace makes people feel ostracized, put aside, less than. It's, It's the Christian that made you feel small because you had questions. It's it's the church that made you feel like you didn't belong because of your mistakes. We can't have truth without grace. In our our culture, we've reacted to that by kind of going the other way. Some in Christianity have removed the truth and only stuck with the grace, removed the Bible from Christianity. Heavy on grace, light on truth. But grace without truth is meaningless. Jesus went to the cross to show us grace because of how badly we needed it. Because the standards of God are higher than the standards we are able to live up to. And we throw out his standards and take away the things that are hard for us to follow or hard for us to process. Then we take the power out of the cross. There's got to be a balance. Without truth, we become just like the world we live in. We shift and we change with our culture. But without grace, we become judgmental, angry. We have to balance them. Daniel lived his life balancing both. In Daniel 6, it's, it's, it's the, towards the end of the narrative of Daniel's life. Half of the book of Daniel is narrative and half is prophecy. And it's towards the end of the narrative. So Daniel's older. He's, in his, he's maybe in his 70s. and He's been living his life this way his whole life, standing firm, loving well, not compromising, but showing compassion all throughout his life. And he faces confrontation after confrontation. There's all these moments where where they say, if you don't do what we want you to do, you're going to be cast aside. But he, he always gets through it in the same way. He's kind, he's compassionate, and he never, ever compromises who he is and what standards he's, put, he's living by. And so towards the end of his life, uh, there's a king in power who Daniel has earned the favor of, again, by being who he is. But there's some advisors working for that king that are just, just want to destroy him. And here's what's going to happen if you live this way, even if you do it well, if you're kind to people that disagree with you, and if you show love to people that want to change you, 
And if you stand firm and you don't compromise and do what you believe is right and follow the teachings of Jesus, and you do, if you do that, there will be people who just oppose you, who do throw hate your way, who, who judge you, who are angry. That, that'll happen. It happened to Jesus. It'll happen to you. There will be some of both. And in Daniel's life, that happened. And there were these advisors that hated him and they convinced the king, hey, you know what? You're such a great king. People should worship you more. And the king's like, yes, I agree. You're right. That's a great idea. And so they said, write a law into place where a few times a day, people will worship a statue of the king. And if they don't, they'll get thrown to a lion's den. The king's like, mm, creative. I like that. Lion's den. Let's do that. It was a weird world back then. Tossed to a lion. So Daniel obviously doesn't bow before this king. He doesn't worship anyone but God. And so the advisors go to the king and they say, hey, your buddy Daniel over there, he broke the law. What are you going to do? The king says, well, I'm the king. I wrote the law. I guess I better follow it. So to the lions with him. And he's distraught. and He's sad. Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den and the king is worried about him. I think that says a lot about Daniel, doesn't it? Doesn't that say a lot about the character of Daniel, the kindness of Daniel, the compassion of Daniel? He's being thrown in the lion's den because he refused to bow before this very same king who is distraught that it is happening. And so Daniel is in the lion's den overnight, and these lions are very hungry, but an angel shuts their mouths, which is mean to the lions. Such is life. Daniel chapter 6, verse 20. It says the king didn't sleep. He was so worried about Daniel. He, he wanted to enforce this law. He wanted Daniel to bow down before him, but Daniel had been so kind, so good, had served him so well, had done his job so well, had, had never compromised. He had such good character. So very first thing in the morning, the king ran to the den, and he opened up the gate. He said, Daniel, Daniel, are you okay? It says, when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, who you continually serve, been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel says, may the king live forever. What a great response. I don't think he was being sarcastic. I think he was being honoring. He was honoring even the man who had just thrown him to his death. Because he was convinced that he was going to stand firm. He was going to love well. He was going to stand firm. He was going to love well. May the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of these lions and they have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight and nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. And he's brought out of there and brought back into a position of prominence. I believe that the life that Daniel lived is a model for how we should live in a culture that is constantly asking us to compromise, that is constantly coming up against the values that we have, the beliefs that we have that's telling us, no, you can't, you can't be a Christian because if you are, you're closed-minded, you're judgmental, you're bad, you're a bad person. And I believe that his life has showed us that we can love every single person who opposes us. We can be kind, we can be compassionate, we can show them the grace and the goodness of God. And at the same time, we can say, I will not compromise who I am. I will not compromise who he says I am, who I'm called to be, and what it means to follow him. We can do both. We can do both. Daniel was kind and he was honoring. And he stand firm in what he believed in. And it made all the difference. If you're in here this morning and Maybe this is what's held you back from following Jesus. 
You, you've been afraid to do so in the culture that we live in. Maybe you're worried about what people would think about you, what your family would think about you, what your coworkers would think about you, and, and you haven't really been sure if it was something that you could do because of, of the, the opinions of others and the, and the way that others would see you from that point forward. I need you to know this morning that there, there is another way. Following Jesus doesn't mean that you have to hate the other side. It just means standing firm and who he's called you to be, and what he's called you to do, but loving well on every side. And if you're in here this morning, and, and you've not made that decision, you can do it right now here today. You can, you can enter. Jesus never said it was going to be easy to follow him. He never said that. But I do believe that it comes with blessing, spiritual blessing, not, not just physical blessing, but the kind of blessing that makes you feel complete inside that fills those gaps in your heart that you've always been trying to figure out what you, more and more. Maybe I just need more of this or, or more of that or, or maybe I need to go on, on, a, on a journey somewhere and a quest. I need to quest a little bit. Whatever it is you've been trying to fill, I believe he's the only one that can fill it and give you blessing and peace and joy and you can receive it today. And if you're in here this morning and you've never prayed that or you never made that decision, you can do it right now. You don't have to check off a bunch of checklists first. You don't have to accomplish anything first. You don't have to get your life together first. You can start following Jesus just as you are right now. If you're in here and you're ready to do that, every head bowed, every eye closed, just pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, forgive me for trying to do this on my own. Forgive me for being afraid. Forgive me of my sins and my mistakes. I believe in you. I believe in the power of your cross. I believe that you did that so that you could have relationship with me. And so I give myself to you. All that I am from this moment forward, I will follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.